0: Well, we're taking a break from uh, our series through 1 Corinthians, Uh, just a three-week break, so today will be our last last one of those, and then we'll jump back into 1 Corinthians next week. But we're doing a short series on the church, specifically on the structure or polity and authority of the church. Now, you might be wondering, what does that have to do with my life? How is that relevant for me? Well, real briefly, when God saves us through the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, He reconciles us to Himself. He frees us from our sin, frees us from the condemnation of our sin, makes us righteous and whole and acceptable in His sight, gives us a new identity. He also empowers us to live for Him and to love Him and to enjoy Him, to be truly different people but also he brings us into a family. He brings us into a family with fathers and mothers and, and brothers and sisters. As disciples of Jesus, we have a family and, and then God calls us to commit to a specific local body of believers as a way to flesh out this family, familyness. this group that we belong to called the church. And so when we are saved, we, we, we automatically become a part of the church, but then we have a responsibility to flesh that out with specific people. And so last week we talked about the, the church and the authority and responsibilities that God gives the church to these communities of believers, the authority and responsibility that God gives each of you as a believer and a part of a church. So in, in short, whenever... Groups of believers begin to start gathering together and teaching the true gospel and God's word and begin to baptize people who respond to that. You have a church, and as such, that church, God says, has some responsibility and authority to make certain declarations, Um, the binding and loosing of Matthew 18, as we saw last week. Uh, and And we declare, yes, this is or isn't the true teaching of God and his word. Yes, this is or isn't a true confession and confessor of Christ. And in this, part of, our, part of what we're doing is guarding the witness of God on the earth. And this is something that all of you, if you are a child of God, have a responsibility towards. And so this is one kind of authority that God sets up in the local church. But there is another one as well. Um, Every group of believers, or every group of people really, needs leaders, and if leaders aren't intentionally established, then leaders are often unintentionally established and and recognized based on things like charisma or personality or influence, but God tells us who the leaders of the church are, how to recognize them, and what they are to do, and so that's what we're going to look at today. Who are the leaders of the church what do they do? What is, the, what is their job description? And how do we recognize and affirm them? So we'll work through those, those questions. First, who are the leaders of the church? It is, a, is it a single individual, a senior pastor? Is it a council or board? Is it some denominational authorities outside of the church, like a bishop or the pope? Is the congregation the only authority in the church? And so every decision that we make should be battled out in church meetings. We don't think so. Now, Scripture uses three terms to refer to the leaders of the church, uh, and it uses these terms interchangeably. So we know that they refer to the the one and the same role. So we're going to look at these. One place that we see all three terms being used in 1 Peter 5. So we'll start there, verses 1 through 4. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So there you had the first word, elder, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd, now that's the term that we get our word pastor from. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And that is the third term, that's the term uh, overseers. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, first of all, is this not a compelling picture of leadership? Is this not in stark contrast to so much of the leadership that we see today? This picture of what God is calling for, of humble, compassionate, tender, accountable leadership. So this is God's vision for leadership in the church. This is what we aim for, encourage, and affirm, and would ask you to do the same. So, briefly consider these three terms and what they mean. So, the, the first term, elder. This comes from the Greek uh, presbyteros, where we get the word Presbyterian today. And like the English word elder, it can refer to um, those who are elderly and thus um, ideally wise. But it can also be a technical term for a group of people who lead, whether a city or a town or a church. And so, Twenty times in the New Testament, we see this word elder being used to refer to the leaders of the church. We also get the word overseer, which comes from the Greek word episkopos, where we get the words "episcopal" and bishop. Uh, And this is just a generic term, as you would kind of imagine, overseer, kind of like manager, uh, supervisor, guardian, and such. And then the word shepherd which we find here in the verb form, but elsewhere you find it in the noun form in the New Testament. Um, and this is where, as I said, we get our word pastor or pasture, right? And it means, as you as would imagine, to care for sheep and all that is encompassed in the work of pasturing, pasturing, tending to sheep, leading them, guiding them, protecting them um, as shepherds do. Now, 1 Peter, uh, if you go back to the beginning, was written to uh, churches in five provinces. And so we see that this system of elders, overseers, shepherds leading the churches was a common one. Uh, Paul also tells Titus to appoint elders in every town. So there was a common practice of installing these roles in the churches. And then one other place that we see all three of these terms come together is in Acts 20, so in Acts twenty, starting at verse seventeen, um, we read now from Miletus. I have a spider crawling on me. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders. So there we have elders of the church to come to him, and when they came to him, he said to them, and we're going to jump forward to verse twenty-eight. Pay careful attention. So this is still in the same um, uh, same uh, section here. He said to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's a second term, to care for, and that care for is the same root as shepherd or pastor. The church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so here we see that it is ultimately God who provides and establishes leaders for his church. God calls people to lead and teach and care for his church. And he does this because it is his church, which he purchased with the blood of Christ, right? God doesn't leave it up to us to just figure out what leadership models work best in our day. No, the church is his, and he gives us the means of setting it up in ways that make it healthy in ways that lead to his glory and and witness. And so we believe that a church should be led, ideally by a plurality of elders, pastors, overseers, not just one, but more than one, from within the local church. Not just one pastor and then a group of elders who don't really pastor, they just kind of run the organization. Also not a um, council or board of directors and also not a some representative from outside of the church, but a group of pastor, elder, overseers whose job description is essentially the same. Yes, there may be some who are on full-time staff and and do different tasks, but essentially the role and the job description of of these pastor, elder, overseers is the same. It is to shepherd and care for the church. So what? That leads to the next question: What is What is this role? What are these pastor, elder, overseers to do? Now, there's a lot of things that we could look at, a lot of places we could turn in Scripture, but we'll consider some of the more important aspects. First, pastors are to set an example of godly living. Pastors are to set an example of godly living. Uh, We read there in 1 Peter 1.4, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Also in Hebrews 13, we read, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. And then if you look at the qualifications, as we will a little bit later, of elders in Scripture, they almost all have to do with character, not abilities, not talents. And so an effective pastor as God sees it, is not somebody merely with leadership abilities, with organizational know-how, or even somebody that has a seminary degree and has lots of knowledge. No, more important than all of those things is do they set an example of godly character? This is one reason why calling a preacher that you listen to on a podcast or watch on TV as your pastor misses the point. Because a pastor is one you not only learn from and they can teach, but also that you can see the example of their life, and you can can see that their teaching lines up with their life. They set an example of godly living. Secondly, pastors do teach and guard the doctrine of the church, and so the one skill that we find in those lists of qualifications in Scripture is able to teach. It's in Timothy, Titus uh, in Titus, Paul spells it out a little bit more, he says, an older, elder overseer must hold firm to the trustworthy worthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. If the church is to be this pillar and buttress of the truth, as Paul says elsewhere, it matters that the leadership has a good grasp of and a personal commitment to, so it's not just head knowledge, but a personal commitment to and demonstration of true doctrine, who God is, how God has worked, how God saves us, what God calls us to. Alexander Strock wrote a book called Biblical Eldership. He says this, The description of the local church as the pillar and foundation of the truth reveals the church's mission to safeguard and proclaim the gospel of Christ. Every local church is to be a gospel lighthouse, missionary agency, and gospel school. Hence, for the local church to be ridden with heresy and false teachers is unspeakable. Such a church delivers a bankrupted testimony to a world that needs the truth of Christ. Now, we do not think that, ever, that an elder needs to be gifted at public speaking or able to deliver a, a Sunday sermon necessarily, but an elder must be able to communicate, able to teach what is true and to open God's word and point to what God says about different things and defend against what is false. And then thirdly, pastor's shepherd. Shepherd is, again, where we get the word pastor. Pastors shepherd their flock, following after the example of the chief chief shepherd, Christ. And again, this imagery of a shepherd is so helpful and so wonderful and so beautiful as we consider leadership. Think about the work that shepherds do. I imagine none of you have been a shepherd before. But think about what you know a shepherd does. They personally tend to their sheep. They care for them. They protect them from dangers that may arise. They feed them. They guide them and lead them. They watch over them. They're personally invested in the health and well-being of their sheep. And then Jesus, whom Peter says is the chief shepherd, takes this even further when he talks about shepherds in John 10. Um, he's speaking of himself, but there's some lessons we can draw from this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Now, there are certainly vast differences between Jesus as the chief shepherd and whatever shepherds God calls to lead his church. Uh, No human shepherds own the sheep. Christ alone does. However, God does give us the same term to show what kind of leadership he calls for in the church. Self-sacrificing, tender, affectionate, care, personal knowledge of the flock. And so the role of pastors, our, our role as the pastors of this church is not merely to make decisions, to lead things, to, to be that person up front. Sometimes the role will require those things, but more important than any of that is that we are personally engaged in shepherding and caring for the sheep, the church, and willing to give of ourselves in order to do that. And we do this not because our allegiance is ultimately to you, but because our allegiance is ultimately to God, and we will give an account of our work to Him. And so our role is to shepherd you and equip you to be healthy disciples of Christ, not disciples of me or anyone else but disciples of Christ and equip you for the work of ministry, as Paul says. So to summarize this, elders are tasked with the spiritual oversight and teaching and guidance of the church under the authority of God's word. If that is the case, how do we identify them? How do we know that they are qualified? How do we choose them? And Paul gives us a couple lists in two of his letters of qualifications For elders. They're very similar lists, so we're just going to read one of them in Titus. He says, This is why I left you in Crete, speaking to Titus, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And here he goes into what an elder, how to appoint elders. If anyone is above reproach, or could be translated blameless, uh, such that you would be surprised to find a charge against. Charge of wrongdoing about an elder. Not that it would never happen, but you would be surprised because they are above reproach. The husband of one wife. This means faithful to your wife. We don't think it necessarily means never been divorced. And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Um, in First Timothy, Paul puts it as managing his own household well. Now, of course, we can't control whether our children come to faith in Christ, but we can do what we can and be faithful in teaching them and loving them that they might put their hope in Christ. Um, We don't think this means an elder has to be a father or an elder has to be married for that matter. I think Paul just assumes that most would. Verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward, must be above reproach, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but, on the positive side, hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And here's that verse we read before, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so it's possible in our world to make it as a leader while being arrogant and quick tempered, a drunkard, violent, or greedy for gain. If you have enough talent or skill or knowledge or charisma, you can make it as a leader in, in our world and be any or all of those things. But this is not to be the case in the church. Character matters character matters. Because God's witness matters. Because those whom God saves, he changes. And this should be evident in the church, especially in the leadership of the church. And because God is not interested in churches that are merely influential and impressive in the eyes of the world, but ultimately full of ungodly, unchanged people. That's not the witness That we are called to give. Our character matters. And you'll notice that this list of character traits here is nothing unique from what all believers are called to, right? This is simply the work that God does in us through His Spirit that God calls us to demonstrate as He empowers us. Now, does this mean that an elder pastor must be perfect in all of these areas, It's possible that an elder would be quarrelsome in, in an instance, but not characterized as a quarrelsome person. An elder might not be hospitable in every instance, but could still be characterized as a hospitable person. It gets a little more serious if an elder takes on a second wife, or gets drunk, or violent, or begins teaching what is clearly false. And so wisdom is, is needed among these things. Lastly, I should note that our conviction is that God calls only qualified men to serve in the office of pastor elder. Uh, We realize that this is difficult for some of you and comes across as very offensive in today's world. Um, And so to be very clear, we do believe that God has made men and women equal in value and that the church needs the contributions and giftings and insight of both men and women to be healthy. At the same time, we do believe God has made males and females to represent him in some different but complementary ways. In other words, that male and female are not meaningless labels or identities that we can do with whatever we want. And so just as God calls husbands to take responsibility for lovingly, servant-heartedly, affectionately leading their homes, God also calls qualified, proven men to, to lovingly, affectionately, and servant-heartedly lead the church. Um, For example, we see this in a text like 1 Timothy 2, 12, where Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. And the context there is the local church, so this is not a blanket statement about every um, instance of teaching and authority. But in the local church, teaching and authority are two of the defining characteristics of what an elder is and does. And so we see this pertaining to the role of elders. And I'll just say that because this is our conviction, we do try to go out of the way and be very intentional about seeing that we are giving opportunities and seeking out the contributions of women, whether that's in the, the, the prayer that we do on Sunday mornings, uh, the two-minute testimonies that we've done at times as well, or just as elders, simply being open to and seeking out the counsel of women including our wives. Um, If this is something you have questions about or struggle with, we're certainly happy to talk about it. I will note that one of the three-strand booklets that we put together recently out there, the colorful square ones, is on men and women. So pick one up. It's not a super in-depth one, but it uh, does kind of give you an introduction to our conviction on that. All right, what does this have to do with us practically? Let me draw out out a few important implications for this, especially for those of you who call this church home. First, choose your elders according to the qualifications and concerns of Scripture. And so as a church, in our structure, the way we're set up, um, the elders will put forward somebody as a candidate for eldership, And then that candidate will go through a process up to a year long of being assessed, not just by us, but by you, the church, and trained. And then at the end of that process, you, the church, gets to say, gets to affirm or deny, yes, this is somebody who fits the qualifications of Scripture that I can follow as an example or not. And so if you are a a member of this church or will one day be a member of this, this church, you have a weighty responsibility to know what to look for, to know what to affirm, and to know when to raise red, r- red flags when you have concerns that are based on Scripture. And in this, as you continue on, you have, a, have an opportunity to hold your elders accountable to that. Um, as elders, when we meet, we meet a couple times a month, we often confess sin to one another and just have that as a regular practice, but we need your accountability too. Um, it is totally within your right to bring up concerns that you have, and not just when they're serious and major, but like, hey, you seemed a little irritated, and you know that came across as a little bit harsh, or you said this in the sermon, and I didn't quite understand that do those things. We would be helped and blessed by that. Secondly, if you've, if you've called biblically qualified men to serve as elders, grant them your trust, especially in less important matters. So as we talked about last week, we are set up as an elder-led congregational church. And so the really important matters Like doctrine and membership and discipline, the final authority of these things belongs to the church. And most of the time these matters are quite clear and there's not a lot of discussion about it. So do we continue to teach that Jesus rose from the dead? Yes, we do. Do we continue to preach the Bible? Do we admit into membership these people who have confessed faith in Christ and it seems credible? Do we install this elder who is abusive to his family? No. Most of these time, these issues are clear, but if they are not, the final, await, the final responsibility is on you, the church. And in this way, we guard the witness of God. But in less important matters, the elders have the opportunity to exercise oversight and shepherding and leadership, and the congregation has an opportunity to support them in this by trusting their leadership. For example, should our next sermon series be from John or from Romans? We don't need to put this forward to for a vote. Sometimes we'll seek your input. Should we support these missionaries? Should we put on this event or that event? Should we do Sunday school or small groups or both? Again, we don't need to spend hours hashing out all of these things. They're not things that make or break the witness of the church. There will obviously be times when it's not clear if something belongs in this category of really important things or this category of less important. The Bible doesn't delineate as much as we would like it to every single question that we we bring to it. And so there is always a need for wisdom as well as graciousness and charity towards one another. I like how Mark Dever puts it, um, he says it's a serious spiritual deficiency in a church, either to have leaders who are untrustworthy or members who are incapable of trusting. And then third and finally, help your elders do their job with joy and not groaning. And uh, Hebrews 13:17 is a great verse for both the elders to remember and cling to and, and the congregation to remember says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's a weighty task. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, we elders certainly have a responsibility to maintain joy, have a responsibility to do this job willingly not under compulsion, as Peter says, with joy and not groaning. This is incredibly important um, for us to remember. But the impetus here in Hebrews is actually on the church to do what it can to help them fulfill their task with joy, which ultimately leads to their own advantage. So, it's a little awkward preaching this as one of your elders. It comes across as a little self-serving. I realize that. But we do preach the Bible, and I hope to just present this to you as what God's Word says for the good of the church. It's an important topic. So in light of this verse, I would just encourage you to encourage your elders. Seek out their leadership and teaching and counsel. Be teachable and approachable. Be willing to approach them Take your own discipleship seriously. Seek to disciple others as well. Um, I can tell you that we as, as your elders take very seriously this part about needing to give an account to those under our care. And so sometimes it might seem that what helps would help out your, those who are in leadership over you the most is just to stay out of the way. And just to be self-sufficient and not ever need them. But that's not actually the case. The, the hardest times we have as elders, the times that we experience the most turmoil and agony is when we don't know how to care for the sh- sheep, when we don't know how people are doing, when we don't know what the needs of the church are and don't know thus how to shepherd. Shepherds care for their flock personally, tenderly, patiently, humbly, fearfully, knowing that they will give an account before God. And so we would covet your both encouragement and accountability in this. And before I end, if I could just say a word commending Nate Nate and Hans to you, the other elders, Nate's not here today, but I can just tell you with confidence that these guys are humble, godly, wise, teachable, approachable, faithful. They do not see their role as an opportunity for selfish gain and power. They are truly servants. I can tell you that it's easy to make decisions as a group, not because we always agree, but because we trust God to work through one another. We're not just trying to get our own way with everything. And then lastly, if I can just say that I'm encouraged by you all, and I speak for Hans and Nate as well, that... Preaching a sermon like this doesn't merely, doesn't mainly feel like a correction, like, come on. No, it feels like keep doing what you're doing. It is a joy to, to serve this church, and you guys make it so again and again. So in light of all that, we're going to take communion, and let me just set up communion like this today. The world tends to draw a sharp line between leaders and those who are led. And because we are sinners, we tend to make much of whatever power and authority we are are given or, or we have. But in the church, this is not to be the case because of this table, because the ground is level at the cross. And the reason any of us belong here or or are here in the first place is because what God has done for us in Jesus. And there's no room to boast. There is certainly no place for making much of ourselves, for pride. And there's also no room for despair or self-pity. We are welcomed. We are received. We are loved because of Christ. And we have all that we need in him. Let's pray.